Hey guys, Matt Wakeling here. You're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Now today we are hitting the archives again to bring you one of our most popular interviews. This was with Australian guitarist Orianthi, originally produced in April 2020. Hope you enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the Music Gear Marketplace Reverb. I am super excited about this film. The Pedal Movie features nearly 100 interviews with people like Steve Vai, Peter Frampton, Jay Mascus, Billy Corgan, and more, including some of our Guitar Speak podcast alumni like Dweezil Zappa, Sarah Lipstate, Johnny Barmer, and Brian Wampler. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit www.thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. You're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player. Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show that I produce in Sydney, Australia, where I speak to leading guitarists and guitar figures from all around the world. Thank you so much for joining me. Now today's episode is not only number 132, it also marks our fourth anniversary. So I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's tuned in at some stage over the last four years. It's been a lot of fun and uh, there's lots more guitar talk to be had. Hey, today I'm speaking to an incredible Australian guitarist, Orianthi, born in Adelaide, has been living in the States, most specifically in LA for the last 15 or so years, and has carved out an incredible career. She's a a platinum-selling solo artist, just about to release her fourth much-anticipated solo album. But also as a, as a side woman guitarist, she's worked with people like Michael Jackson, Alice Cooper, Carrie Underwood, Steve Vai, Carlos Santana. Unbelievable, an unbelievable career. And yet through a lot of hard work and some good breaks, she's worked with these people. We hear all the great stories behind those gigs and her own solo career as well. So let's jump straight in with the great guitar hang with Orianthi. Orianthi, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, doing well here in Sydney. How's things in in LA? Yeah, pretty crazy. But uh, staying in my studio and I'm working a lot on new songs. I probably have a whole new album by the end of this. Um, And just sort of, you know, getting on the phone with my family in Adelaide, in Australia a lot, FaceTiming them, FaceTiming my friends. This is pretty crazy to be living life this way. And who would have thought? Yeah, definitely. this would have happened to everybody so yeah I mean it was only um I know a matter of weeks ago you you've been um working on your fourth solo album for a while now and it looked like we're getting towards a release for that has um has COVID-19 put a pause on your release or finishing that off or anything like that um things are still still moving forward actually considering like one of the guys actually from the label was in Italy so okay um and then Nashville, my management's in Nashville. And then, yeah, so we're kind of just trying to deal with things. And my producer is in Nashville too. So we're on the phone a lot. But I'm super excited about this record. We did it in 28 days. It's um, with Marty Fredrickson, who is an amazing producer, songwriter, and friend. And it was just done really fast. It's a whole new sound, experimenting with, like, different tones to different synth sounds, layers, Um we basically did everything ourselves. It was me and Marty and his son Evan played drums on it, 
and bass and I played with a bass and then it was so much fun. I, I really had a great experience I, and I can't wait to put this out. It's been a while now because I recorded it last year and then just with the industry, the way everything is it's so different now and, and I wanted to put it out like um, that obviously properly so everyone, you know, gets here around the world and everything. But it's a different kind of deal we sort of worked out and all that. So um, I'm just super excited to, to put out new music. It's been, it's been a minute. You know, it's been a minute since I've done a full record, since Heaven in This Hell and RSO, which I did, you know, as well and all of that. And, you know, everything I've done I'm, I'm proud of. There's just different, you know, kind of, I don't know, like pieces of my sort of life, like sort of uh, situations and, and time and all that. And you look back and you reflect, you go, okay, that was a that was that phase and then you – you know, it's different chapters. So this next record is another chapter and I'm ready to make the next record now too. So people will be constantly getting, you know, up to like new music and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. So cool. Yeah, Heaven in This Hell, I think that came out around 2013. So, I mean, that's that's a while between solo albums, but you've fit so much music in between then and now. Um, obviously, um, that's going to rub off in some way, all the, all the different gigs and, and people you worked with. So... Um, it does make the next the next chapter really really interesting. Absolutely, I mean I learned so much, and it's just so fun. I mean, and, and it's an honor the fact I get to jam out with so many of my idols and people I look up to immensely. Um, they call me to you know, like Robbie Krieg is a dear friend of mine, and he's like, hey, come and jam, and anytime you know, it's like, it's pretty wild, and uh, to have you know friends like that just around LA and always like, you know, just hang out and jamming Steve Vai, everybody who's around here, and we just. You know, Steve Lukather, everyone, uh, it's pretty crazy. It's wild, but I, I just love it. I love to be able to just sit around and create, write, jam, um, to do this for a living. I mean, it's not an easy industry to be in by any means. You've got to um, really, I don't know, kind of take care of yourself mentally too because there's a lot of ups and downs. You know, you go from zero to 100, and then you got to deal with the in-between. So you moved to the States fairly young. You were like... Was it early twenties? You must have been around twenty years old when you when you moved there from Adelaide. Yeah, I was around nineteen twenty when I moved here. I signed with Interscope Records. Jimmy Iving signed me, and I made my first record. I started making it then, so I was just kind of thrown into this whole wild situation. But I, you know, before then, I was um, I quit school when I was fifteen. I played in three cover bands in Australia. I was signed my first management deal when I was fourteen, and and I opened for Steve Vai when I was fourteen toured with ZZ Top when I was 16 and then, you know, just wrote and recorded as much as I could, saved up money. My parents obviously, you know, supported me and my, uh, my vision and, and my insanity, which is wonderful. Um, and they were like, go for it. And then um, kept on coming over to the NAMM show, you know, Paul Reed Smith, guitars, um, well, Paul himself invited me to come play in his uh, booth. So I demonstrate in the booth a lot. And then I finally just got a record deal because an A&R person who worked with Ron Fair, who was in the audience one night um, when I was playing The Grove in Anaheim uh, with Santana, was there and he heard me and then told Ron Fair and Jimmy Iovine. So I went in uh, to Jimmy's place, actually played in his basement for him and then the backing tape I made and then played for uh, uh, Ron Fair as well, um, you know, and, and that was pretty that was pretty wild, you know, getting that sort of opportunity and going, okay, wow, like, because I got so many rejection letters, you know, with different demos and things I'd be sending out to record labels and everything from the age of 14, you know, and then I finally got that deal. It was a long road even back then, you know, and then getting it is like the holy grail and then you've got to work more because you've got to find the songs, producer, vision, you know, everything. And then found that and then Michael Jackson called me when I did my record and asked if I would join him. So I was like, sure. So I didn't tell the label and I went and worked with him. And then when he passed, that's when they put out the record straight after that so it was kind of it was very emotionally it was all crazy and amazing but also very emotional and 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 difficult when I look back on that time as well you know so sure, sure. that's a that's a really intense handful of years I guess by the time you moved to the states you were already um, as you said you'd already been gigging and and writing and demoing for five or six years so that, so whilst you were young you're still um very experienced yeah, playing in pubs in Australia, I mean, as you know, it's not easy because people are, you know, you play three sets until 3 a.m., yep, you know, yep. and I was 14, 15, three <laughs> nights a week. And then during the week, I'd be songwriting um, and recording. So I learned how to record myself. Um, my dad um, actually 
he taught me how to record. And then I also went and sat in a studio. Um, I think it was called Fat Track, something like that. And I would sit with the um, engineer there and he would teach me how to sort of record things as well. And I learned how to use like a roll in 2480 to, you know, Tascam and then um, Frostex and all this kind of stuff and how to mic things. And, you know, so I, I do that now in my own studio. I like to record my own stuff with Logic and um, I use GarageBand actually in Logic. But because um, it's easy. But um, there's nothing like the analog recordings, though. That's the one thing. I just like – I was talking about this the other day with my friends. I'm like, Pro Tools and all this digital stuff, I mean, I don't know. It's like looking at every – it's like the soul and everything you get from records, vinyl records that you listen to. There's nothing like that personality. And now everything is like under surgery lights. You know what I mean? It's like when you record something with Pro Tools, everything's so clear and it's like – it's pretty crazy. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of it, I must say. Sure. It's all right, though. Sure. I guess it's got its <laughs> practical advantages, but you're still digging the analog thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy. It's like I, I prefer – I mean, the last record I did actually at Blackbird Studios with Dave Stewart, um, who's a dear friend of mine, we recorded it in the live room and then we bounced it to uh, reel to reel, you know, so to tape. And – that you know I mean it just added some real warmth to it and um yeah which I'd really dug and then this last record as well I mean it, it sounds I mean there's a lot of sounds that are kind of like analog and all that so mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm always going for that even when using digital stuff so platforms so yeah yeah cool you mentioned Dave Stewart so he produced Heaven in This Hell that album yes. It seemed like a bit of a departure from your, your previous couple of records, which were maybe more pop rock um, to, a, to a looser, heavier kind of a thing. If I can just back up, though, the first time I heard you, um, I didn't know it was you. I, I knew of you, and According to You came on the radio. I thought, yeah, this is a cool pop tune. This is rocking. But I couldn't believe, and I was so happy to hear how loud the guitars were. I thought, at last, a pop tune with loud guitars again. You know what's funny? When I did that song, um, I walked into the studio and I said, I'm going to put down like an 80s tapping guitar solo. It's going to be loud. And, and, and I was like, what? I was like, I'm going to tap the guitar so loud. And it was so funny. And I did it not as a joke, but kind of as a joke at first. Because I was like, I better not put this on the radio. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But then I thought said to everybody, I'm like, you know what? That's the point of difference. I'm a guitar player. I can't just put out a, you know, a song where I'm just singing. I got to, you know, highlight that. And then hopefully kids will see it and be inspired to learn guitar. So if we do it in, in the right way, you know, with the right director for the music video too, it can look exciting and fun and it'll get kids into it and get people, you know, just inspired to play. And I somehow convinced everybody and they thought it was a good idea. And, and so, and it went, I mean, it was platinum everywhere. So it's it, massive, it went yeah. Um, and then the second, and then, then, I, then I was like, oh, I want to do, do a music video for an instrumental song. And I was like, okay. And so I went, my dear friend, uh, Steve Vai, and I, we wrote Highly Strong and that got on Guitar Hero and got millions of views too. And that was so much fun. I mean, it, doing an instrumental track that getting that much attention to was pretty wild. Um, but, uh, you know, fun times, you know, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that track's, that track's killer. So amongst um, this very poppy album, which was doing, did fantastically well, um, the albums Believe we're talking about, with the big hits, yeah, having a ripping instrumental on there as well was, was brilliant. And um, I think Suffocated got on Guitar Hero as well. It did, yeah. Suffocated, Highly Strong, According to You, yeah. It, yeah, all those tracks did. Um, mm. And it was pretty wild, but... Um, you know, I'm really proud of that record. That was, a, you know, the first, I mean, it was on a major label. It was a big deal. It was a big part of my life. It really kind of, um, I mean, you know, I just feel very grateful that I had the opportunity to, to, to make something like that with all those different writers from Desmond Child to, you know, just Steve, to everyone that was involved with that record, you know. And, um, and then making the uh, second record with, uh, I said, Dave Stewart um, was a blast and amazing. And then, you know, I did a track with Stephen Tyler on that one, and um, actually Marty produced that one on that track on that album oh, too. Okay. And then okay. making this one with with Marty, so it was kind of you know, it, it seriously just like so much fun. And then obviously doing the RSO thing too was um, was good an experience. And um, yeah, I'm just proud of every record because, as I said, different kind of phases of my life, you know, 
Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. The guitar tones on Say Heaven in This Hell, you seem to be broadening your tones. There's some really nasty fuzz stuff on there um, on How yeah. Do You Sleep. Um, I think I'm hearing some slide on a track like Fire and some really heavy riffier stuff too. So, so by then, I mean, that was always in your pocket as a player, of course, but you seem to pull that kind of stuff out a little bit more to the front. It was more of a bluesy kind of voodoo rock, I call it, record. Uh-huh. Nice. You know, with a bit of pop on there too. But I'm, I'm predominantly like a blues player, blues rock player. Like that's what I grew up listening to, which is Jimi Hendrix, C.B. Ray, Santana, you know, um, all of that, John Lee Hooker. Uh, so going back to that, and when I would jam out with, with Dave Stewart, he'd be like, we should just make a record like that because, you know, a lot of people don't know that you, you know, play like a lot of, bluesier kind of stuff and I'm like yeah let's just do something and and I went and visited Blackbird Studios and I'm like this is wild and then um Hyundai asked me to do a commercial and I I cut um all right now actually yeah Uh, the free tune yeah I've seen that it's so good yeah so we cut that and when I was there I was like let's make a full record so I'm, I'm cutting the commercial and then I said to Dave uh let's just do a full record since we're here and he's like, yeah. So he called in all the amazing top players in Nashville, Tom Bukovat. I mean, so many people who came in and, and played, and, and it was it was crazy. It was a good time and in the big live room. And most of the tracks were actually cut live in one day. We went back and did overdubs. But um, that record was pretty much done in, about, in a couple of weeks. And then, yeah, so it's got that kind of live feel to it, which I wanted to keep. It was kind of raw. And then I got a call from Alice Cooper um, when I was there in Nashville. He's like, my guitar player just left for a Thin Lizzy. Would you join? I'm like, okay, sure. He got 25 songs signed in a week. And I'm like, all right, sure. And then not knowing how in depth, like, all of his songs were, you know, I was like, oh, my God. And when I <laughs> listened to it, especially Halo Flies, nine minutes long, these songs, well, one song is. But the rest were just, you know, they're, they're all the different guitar parts are very well orchestrated. And it's a lot to retain in that amount of time, you know. So I kind of just... I was on overload. I told everybody to leave me alone for about a week. And, and then the first gig we played was actually on Jay Leno. And then we did play the whiskey. Um, and then we went on a world tour and I, for about four years. So that was crazy. <laughs> was that the, um, was it a three guitar lineup then? Yeah, it was myself. Uh, well, it actually changed because uh, initially it was um, Steve Hunter, Tommy Hendrickson and myself. Yep. And then, then it changed to Ryan Roxy, Tommy, and myself. Okay, so. yeah. I saw um, I saw Alice a couple of years ago in Sydney, and it was the three guitar lineup as well. Um, Nita Strauss was was uh, was in there, and um, I was so impressed how well arranged three guitars worked over that material. Even some of the old material, which is, you know, clearly two guitarists. You know, the Steve Hunter sort of era stuff. But um, yeah, that that must have been a lot of fun, like slotting into 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 that band. Oh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, I got to tell you, like, because of the time frame, everything, I was like a week to learn everything. And then Damon Johnson, who who left, but he, he's amazing, he's an incredible player. He, he left with Thin Lizzy. He actually came in and, and helped me learn Halo of Flies and a few others because I was like, I can't remember all this because just think of it about like three songs. It's like three songs in one. I'm like, okay. So then I got it. You know, it was, it was wild. But honestly, amazing time. Alice Cooper is one of the best people on this planet. And his wife, Cheryl, and the whole band, my brothers, we stay in contact. Like, every other week we contact each other and um, love Nita too. We're all friends. You know, that's a cool thing. It's like, you know, being on the road and living with people for, like, four years, you on a bus, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. and being, being basically on tour, like, for 10 months of the year, nine to 10 months, it's pretty, uh, pretty intense but fun. I hope you are enjoying today's interview. Now, this podcast is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the music gear Mark Place Reverb. Now, you know we love guitar pedals here on the Guitar Speak podcast, and we're super excited on the release of this film. 
The pedal movie explores how effects pedals and their builders have shaped modern music and guitar playing over time, from the fuzz pedal experiments of the Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix, through the shoegaze and indie rock of the 90s, and up to the modern day use of effects. Reverb also speaks with builders and leaders from more than 50 pedal brands to answer the big question, how did guitar pedals get so big? Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play and Voodoo. For more info, check out thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by master guitar teacher Joe Elliott. Now, I was a beta tester for the course, and as a music educator myself, I was very impressed by the logical layout and format of the course. Heavyweight guitarists such as Brett Garsett and Greg Koch have also endorsed the program, so check it out at www.fretboardbiology.com. Okay, back to our interview. You mentioned the Michael Jackson gig. I know it's been really well documented, but can can you just talk us through how did how did that come about? You say Michael Jackson rang me up, but what was um what was surrounding that? Um, well, I played the Grammy Awards with Carrie Underwood, and he was looking for a guitar player, and he saw me play the Grammys, and then he was looking on YouTube, and then he asked around, and then um, Carla Santana mentioned me as well. Michael and then Michael Bearden who was a musical director he was looking around too and my name came back so many times and Michael was on Michael Jackson was actually on uh, YouTube and he and he decided upon me come in and and learn the song so I was working with Diane Warren that day when I got this message from MySpace saying you know what we're looking for Michael Jackson's been looking at YouTube videos I'm like what is this like some weirdo you know what I mean it's like weird as I told her, everyone was like, is this real? And so my manager called, and he's like, yeah, it's real. And then he called me, Michael did, and then Michael Bearden called me. He's like, will you learn, go, Diana, want to be starting something and beat it and come in the next day and then play it for, for everyone, including Michael, and play it with the band. And I was like, oh, my God, okay. And so it was pretty wild experience. I mean, I mean I, I've never been that nervous in my life, to be honest with you. So I walked in there, tried to do the best job I could. But, I mean, you can't go in with a mindset going, I'm going to feel – anyone's shoes you're going to do your own thing to it and that's what I did I was like I'm an artist I'm more of an artist than I am like a guitar player or whatever I just consider myself I started writing songs before I started playing lead guitar you know Mm -hmm. and singing so I'm kind of like I'm going to approach this solo as an artist I'm not going to play it the way they played it I'm going to play it more bluesy different you know voicings and whatnot and hopefully he digs it and he did and he hired us all and it was just it was wild but I was so nervous because I'm like I hope he I hope he likes what I'm doing and, you know, you never know. So it's crazy. Um, and was the audition the, with a full band or were you playing the tracks or something? Yeah, it was a full band. We okay. all played for him and he sat down on the couch in front of us and they dimmed the lights and he's like, I want to hear the guitars like really loud. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and he was like just staring at me and he goes, that's great you can play the solo, but can you play the solo while you're walking around with me? And I'm like, uh, not yet. He goes, well, you got to practice that. And I'm like, all right. So I'm like practicing the Beat It solo around my apartment at the time. I was living um, in West Hollywood. And it was wild because I think people just thought, oh, my God, this crazy, like, Michael Jackson fan has moved in. <laughs> and I went and stopped playing that freaking Beat It solo. So I and I had a Pomeranian at the time too, and she wouldn't stop barking. So it was like I was being chased by the Pomeranian, barking, you know, beat it solo. My neighbors wanted to kill me. There was no question about that. <laughs> awesome. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> and, um, I mean, even though the tour obviously didn't happen, um, it's incredibly sad the, um, the documentary that came of that really um, – Sean, another spotlight on you. I guess the Carrie Underwood thing, a lot of people were saying, who's that guitar player? And then when This Is It was released, um, a much larger audience were asking the exact same question. Yeah, it was pretty insane, um, the whole situation. I mean, for everybody involved, because we got really close. I mean, we all became like this, you know, musical family, and it was three or four months, I think, we were rehearsing for, like intense. Um, So... I think it was that long. Honestly, I I really don't know. Maybe I'm totally off because, um, <laughs> you know, I've got to figure that out. But it was a, it seemed like a really long time we were, were together working. And, and we just looked up to Michael immensely. He was like the sweetest to everybody. And 
obviously, you know, one of the greatest entertainers that ever lived and pop singers and dancers, everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was a huge loss to the whole world, but we lost like leader and a, you know, part of the whole thing. So it was very emotional, very, very emotional. And we didn't believe it, it took a while to really sink in for everybody when it happened because it was so sudden and unexpected and weird and just like really that like he passed like and so we just and then I was thrown into doing all this media and everything for it and then the label like okay we're putting out your album too so I had just literally had to like emotionally I was just in a weird place where I sort of put everything in a compartment and I think it came out later and that was not mentally good for me like you know what I mean to sort of deal with and you know, and I, I, I guess in Germany when I played Give In To Me, that's when it really hit me. And I was like playing this big radio station. Everything was going great. And my single was like platinum everywhere. People were, it was, everything was happening and I was unhappy. So, you know, because I, I was unhappy because I just didn't feel like I had the time to really, um, for everything just kind of sink in. You know what I mean? Sure, and really kind of deal sure. with it. Yeah, yeah. And then have a, sh- I, I kind of probably needed a short break. And then to come out with the record. But it was just like full on, like bam, bam, like just all this stuff happening. And look, I'm very grateful at the success and everything. I worked really hard for it too. But um, it was a very crazy time in my life. So moving forward, everything I'm doing now is at a certain pace and everything that works around me and my manager and everyone, you know, we're going to make sure things are, you know, you've got to take care of, uh, everyone's going to take care of themselves. You know what I mean? We've all as artists and every, just everyone on this planet, you know, we just mentally and, and emotionally and just when things happen, you just got to have that, have that time to figure it all out. I imagine, you know, you, um, in mid twenties, you'd been around the industry a lot, but still, you, you know, we're all relatively young at that age, even with all the things you'd been involved with. And, um, yeah, processing something that big must've been incredibly hard. I was a different person back then for sure. than yeah. I am now. Sure. Definitely. You know, because everything was, like, just flashing in front of me. Like, I had gazillion one things going on. And, you know, you have, you know, an amazing – I was 19 Entertainment. I was with Simon Fuller. So I had Interscope Records with Geffen. You know, I had, like, all this stuff going. I had this band. I had a tour. I had buses. I had tour manager. I had stylists. I had makeup. Everything was like a circus. It was crazy. And, um, you know, you're doing Good Morning America. You're doing all that stuff. And it's just 5 a.m. you got to get up every day. You know, start hair and makeup, go straight into it, work out in the afternoon if you can. You know what I mean? It's just full on until nighttime. Then you're just exhausted and you get on a plane and you go somewhere else. So, you know, I remember getting off stage after doing that for three months straight, which was getting up at 5 a.m. every day, right? Playing, doing the radio shows, all that, then doing the shows and then getting on a plane after a show in Vegas straight to Japan. No, Singapore, sorry, Singapore. Mm-hmm. And then in getting off the plane and going straight into press and then doing a show that night. <laughs> so, That's intense. Everyone sees the hour and a half on stage and thinks it's very glamorous, but there's, there's a whole other uh, thing supporting that, which, which, um, which is a job in, in itself. Yeah, I did that full on for a few years and then I, as I said, joined Alice and then did it full on for four. So, and then, you know, went off with the RSO thing and did that on and off touring for a bit too. So, you know, I've, I've done a looking back, it's like, okay, in different experiences and then moving forward, I'm excited for the future. I'm excited for whatever that looks like. I mean, this industry is changing every day and this world's changing every day. So right now, um, right now music, um, is helping people and, and I'm on Instagram a lot, Instagram live and I'm playing, Request covers, people are calling in and saying, I want to hear you do this or, you know, that's not calling, but they, they uh, message me and say, how I want to, I want to hear this, whatever. Yeah. We do Instagram live and it's fun because it's just providing entertainment for free for people when they're at home and that's what we are. As musicians, um, we are to serve people, you know what I mean? We're to serve everybody and just provide entertainment and all that. So I'll be doing a lot more of that and writing and um, doing some streaming concerts very soon too. So we're figuring, figuring that out, how to make that work without latency and all that kind of weirdness. So, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's going to be pretty soon. That's going to be pretty exciting. And I'm also, I just did something for Music Cares as well with a bunch of artists, which is coming out very soon too. Awesome, awesome. Very cool. I saw um, one of your Instagrams the other day, you were doing a John Fogarty tune. Um, oh, Run for the Tour. Yeah. yeah, 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 that's it. And it was like a solo electric 
uh, and vocal. Man, that was cool. Playing with your fingers, which um, I don't always associate that with you um, on electric, but it's, it was cool, man. Very, very bluesy. Very that one man blues guy, the Robert Johnson, singing, doing the licks, doing the whole thing. I'm a huge Robert Johnson fan. Uh huh. I grew up listening to him a lot. So that's, I, you know, it's funny because I usually don't play with a pick. Okay. A lot of people don't know that, but I, why well, they, they know that now, but a lot of the time, like before when I was doing the more shreddy stuff, I'd use a pick and I use it live. But a lot of the time, because when I you know, started playing, you know, listening to Santana a lot, he, he has like, you know, the way he plays is very delicate and just voicing to the notes. So I wouldn't use a pick all the time and trying to learn his stuff. And then also playing along to a lot of blues records and, and then playing classical because I studied classical, didn't use a pick. So it's just more convenient too, because I can't find the damn picks as well. I lose them all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so That's okay. a lifelong problem for guitar. Oh, players. it's terrible. I had so many the other day. I swear they're all gone. I don't know. I think my cat hides them too. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. They could be in the washing machine as well. That's uh. That's a gold mine of guitar picks. Yeah, I checked that. It's not there. There's <laughs> kind of different. There's another realm they fall into. Awesome. With socks, socks and guitar picks, they're all together somewhere. <laughs> Definitely. Hey, we've we've been talking about half an hour. You have dropped um, probably about a dozen world class musicians' names, and not in. A way other than these are just your colleagues, uh, these are your friends. Um, when when you started out, especially when you moved over to the US, I guess were you were you starstruck? Because I mean, these these are just your people now. When we're talking about yeah, you're working with Desmond Child or Santana, Dave Stewart, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Do, do you still get starstruck, or are you you kind of cool? Um, I you know honestly, there's certain people that um. Yeah, I never feel like completely 100% like comfortable around. I mean, even though I'm really good friends with like Carl Santana, um, he's the reason why I play electric guitar. So I'm always like in awe and like, oh my gosh, this is Carlos. Um, and certain people, but yeah, I mean, you know, people like, I should say, I mean, it, it is crazy when I think about it. I'm going like, really? Like I have, you know, Robbie Krieger come up at my place and we jam out and hang out with my friends. We all just, jam here and it's like he's a freaking he's from the doors yeah. you know and you go wait a second um to a lot of people that's insane and to me it is insane when I think about it but he's just he's like I don't know he's like a like psychedelic like I don't know like uncle like that comes over that you know what I mean it's 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 awesome and yeah, and, Steve yeah, cool. and I and we just had that kind of relationship where it's like I'll text him we write songs together and we just we hang out and it's very much just um a community and I feel that here in LA where it's like, he's very encouraging. He's just very cool. I had a really cool person and, and cool people. I mean, they're not, um, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but um, kind of gotten used to it. Like, I don't know, like they're just all very good friends of mine. They're just good people, you know? Is there anyone you'd like to jam with that you, you haven't been able to yet? Um, yeah. So the other day, well, actually a couple of times, um, Run into uh, Gary Clark, and we've been talking, and uh-huh. we're going to do something together in the future. We've been talking about doing that, and uh, we've been texting and saying, "Yeah, let's get together and do some stuff." But I would love to play um, something with him because I'm a big fan of what he does. Yeah, I think he's freaking awesome. It's great. Yeah, man, that that would be a cool jam for sure, for sure. You, you... Since we're both since we're both Gibson um, artists too, um, be awesome. I just came. I'm just working on a brand new signature acoustic J200 with Gibson right now. So that's coming out soon. Awesome. I, I saw some, again, I saw some Insta stuff about that. You're checking out Woods and different models and things. Um, yeah, that's super cool. That's super cool. What, what kind it's of? Such, it's such an honor because I was, you know, I was with Gibson a while ago and then I left them and I went to Martin and I was with Taylor Acoustics, and I was with PRS Acoustics. And then they approached me and they said, hey, we want to do an artist like signature model for you. And I'm like, Okay, that sounds amazing. I said, well, what kind, what acoustic would you like to do it with? And I'm like, the J200. And they're like, okay. Because um, Elvis was a big influence and Johnny Cash. And so, okay. you know, I wanted to do something with that guitar. I can't say too much. Um, unfortunately, uh, I can say that it's red and I can say that I've <laughs> modified it a lot to yeah. make it faster. So the neck is different. Um, and I've modified the pickups with LR bags. So we've been on 
FaceTime and attention to um, a lot of details with this magnificent guitar, which I'm very excited about. And I honestly, it's unbelievable. Like I cannot wait to hold the first prototype. I, I just approved the inlays the other day over email and that, you know, in Montana, I went up to the factory and, um, you know, picking out all the woods and just like going there and seeing everybody work on these, uh, you know, pieces of art. And same with Corey Smith, you know, I went up to the factory and started a new model with them as well. So it's a real honor to work with these incredible companies and, you know, be able to, um, I don't know, create with them, you know, something that's, that's special. And hopefully a lot of people really like, because, you know, I, I make it for myself, like for myself, what I like my preferences, but I also run it by people in the factory too. And Paul Reed Smith or the people that, you know, at Gibson and they check it out too. And they come back with their comments. So it's definitely a team effort. You know what I mean? I kind of say this is what I would like, but to make it, you know, appealing to a lot of people and hopefully everyone really likes what we've come up with because I'm, I'm just very excited and honored. That's awesome. You mentioned PRS, and uh, of course that's been the electric guitar you've been um, so synonymously known with. Was that uh, a Carlos Santana influence as well? Completely. Yeah. Yes, completely. Um, I had a Fender Strat before that, and um, I played it a bit. It was red. It's like this apple red, and I loved it. Um, and then, because of Stevie Ray, but really it was a PRS I really took to, and it was, my dad got me one. The secondhand one from the 19, I think it was 1987. Oh, okay. That's a fairly early one. Yeah, it was an early one because I started, uh, it was established in 1985, the company. So it was a couple of years. It was from the old factory and it was super heavy and the strings were really heavy and it was high action because it was owned by a country player. So Mm -hmm. the back of the guitar was all scratched from his country belt. Like he used to wear a big belt. (laughs) And it was like this brown color and it wasn't the most. I mean, the color was kind of cool, but um, the neck was kind of thin. It was like, it's just a really heavy guitar, but it sounded amazing. I couldn't put it down, you know. It, I was obsessed with it, and I was so grateful that my dad got it for me when I was like 11. I mean, to have a Paul Smith, you know. It was yeah, like the Holy yeah. Grail. And, <laughs> yeah, so I was like playing along with Santana Sacred Fire Records. Uh, sorry, uh, live video VHS, which I wore out. And then um, Abraxas, Z-Bop. Karanasia, all those records, Hendrix, Band of Gypsies, all that kind of stuff, Cream. Um, so I, I basically just locked myself away for hours and hours of that guitar, and that's that's in my studio in Adelaide now. So I've, I, have a, I have a mini guitar collection there in my studio, and I have a collection here in um, L.A., and I have my storage in Nashville. So Okay. Yeah. Nice, <sighs> nice. Tell me, tell me about working with Paul Reed Smith because that, that happened fairly early on in your career. Yeah, Paul Reed Smith has been a big supporter since I was 14. And I sent him my first demo, which was called Under the Influence, which is the first like record I made with my dad. He recorded it on a Tascam uh-huh. in the living room at our home. My mother allowed us to sort of gut the living room, bring in a drummer, <laughs> record it all. It was pretty wild. And, um, you know, it was like this whole thing where we just sort of, I don't know, everyone sort of just jammed out. And we did a couple of covers uh, from Santana Brothers record and then I wrote a song on there and it was kind of just a coverage record really and then sent it to everybody and Paul Smith wrote back and invited me over to NAMM when I was like 15 and um, yeah and then I ended up going over there when I was like 18 I think something like that and then but yeah he, he was in contact with me and just said how much he really enjoyed it and liked it and that made me feel amazing because I was like having his support and um, yeah so it's kind of been been family since i mean paul and beverly over there and everyone that works at Corey smith they're just um amazing people i love them all that's super cool and um that's awesome if you're going to if you're working on a new model with them can you tell us much about that um it's very cool i I mean i can't really say too much about it because i mean the whole idea of it is pretty wild and it's kind of like all i can say is that the inner child and all of us which um (laughs) he's going to want to pick it up and plug it in because yeah it's a little louder than most guitars that's all i'm going to say okay okay cool we will stay tuned we'll stay tuned for that um there's some other really cool signature gear you've got going on right now let's um dean markley your your signature strings have have just come out in the last few months that's got to be pretty cool 
Yeah, I'm super excited about these strings. You know, they're they're a combination set. So they actually have, um, you know, they've got, I don't know, they're kind of 9 to 52s. So they're just, um, yeah, they're pretty, I don't know, I, I kind of use that, I use that gauge in, in the studio when I used to detune a lot with Alice Cooper. So I like the heaviness of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I convinced them to, to put it, you know, into a line of strings, which was kind of just like a combination set. And, and people dig them. And they're great on old Kellys too, by the way. So uh-huh. um, they sound really good. It's an interesting like, I think gauge. What, tell us what gauge are you running for those? Nine to 52s. Yeah, wow. Wow, that's that's big big on each end, as in big difference each end, I should say. That's, that's cool. How'd you settle on that? Because that's pretty light up top and chunky down the bottom. Yeah, so it's 9, 11, 17, 30, 42, 52, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's basically, you know, I just, because I, I love the blue steel strings, you know, because they're like uh, kind of gently like treated and they just kind of sound like they had that, that sort of, I don't know, time. They never lose their brightness, which I really, you know, I never break as well because I break a lot, of, used to break a lot of strings. Mm-hmm. So I was really digging the blue steels. And then when, um, Josh Vitek, uh, when he came in and, and he was like, hey, they would like to do a signature, uh, sat with you. I was like, absolutely. So I sat with them and they sat me all these different combinations and everything. I was like, oh, this is one that actually sounds really good and feels good, didn't feel too weird, you know. Um, and people seem to like them. So they're available through Sweetwater mm-hmm. um, and they have been for a while. And, and then he also, uh, Josh Vitek, he's a dear friend of mine, also brought in Nexi Industries, and I did two signature pedals with them, which is the Octava and the Nexi Plexi. So both of those um, are available now too, and they're they're great pedals. I'm not a big pedal user, but they convinced me because of the way they're made. They're just very well made, and they just they just sound so good, you know. And that's what it's all about for me. It's like the connection with the guitar and the amplifier, and I don't want too much interference. I usually just use a a wah pedal, you know, uh-huh. and that's kind of my thing. But um, but with these pedals, they're just so, so well made, you know. That they, they don't interfere; they just sound good, the quality. And I think people are really going to dig them. So it's cool, yeah. man. The the octave has got an octave down and up. How, how do you like to set that up uh, most of the time? Um, well, I kind of set it like full on, like so. You, you it sounds like a bass is following, you know, and then uh-huh. you got the buzz as well so I, I like to crank both up completely nice you know? nice that sounds That's, I, I actually used it on my on the new record with um the new record i just made with marty uh, we used it for uh, this song called sinner's hymn and uh also this other song which i wrote with uh nikki six from motley crew um and it's called streams of consciousness and that that song i'm just really excited about that song too like i can't wait for people to hear this stuff yeah man me too i can't wait either it's going to be cool. What 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 other stuff did you use on the record in terms of guitars and amps and things? I used some different guitars. I mean, I used predominantly. I mean, for the leads, obviously the the um, Pori Smith Custom Twenty Four. Um, but then I also did use um, some tellies. I did use some Les Pauls. I did use some different textures for some of the rhythms and whatnot. Um, experiment. I used a Kemper actually for some of the stuff, but mostly I used the Orange um, amplifier, which um, I use now the Rockerverb Mark III, mm-hmm. and it's um yeah it's a great sounding amplifier. I love it. I, I don't know why I never used Orange before. Could have been the color, but um, <laughs> it, I just never plugged into it. And then Pat Foley, who used to work at Gibson, um, contacted me. He's like, you should try out these Orange amps. And he actually, you know, I think he sent me a bunch of videos, and I was like, wow, that tone's amazing. And then um and then he sent me the head. And I plugged in and I was like, wow, this is wild. And it felt like a, I don't know, like an glorified like Marshall situation meets a Dumble thing. So I'm like, okay, I love this. And then, yeah, now I'm with Orange. So I think we're working on a signature Orange amp later this year too. So it should be awesome. very cool. Awesome. Good times. Good times. Uh, you got some straps coming out too. You could be totally, you could be a guitar player and just have an Orianthi rig from from head to toe except for the picks maybe you need some signature picks that you can't lose that's maybe the only missing link you know i i have got a ton of signature picks and i'm going to come up with some more actually i've just got to 
get them made because I'm in desperate need. Um, that's the one thing. But I, I do have some straps which I made with Carlino guitars, yeah. which um, 10% of the proceeds actually go towards uh, cancer research. And they're very well-made straps and they're pretty wild. One's leopard print with turquoise. The other one's like just um, leather sort of with, uh, with turquoise. and Yeah, they're pretty, pretty out there, these straps, but I dig them, you know. <laughs> I really do. And it was fun making, and it's fun to be, it's awesome to be approached to do this kind of stuff because accessorizing and all the, you know, pageantry that goes around, you know, it's a show. When you put on a show, people want to come and see things that are colorful and different. You don't want to just, you know, be sort of normal. And I'm all about that because I'm, I'm all about every aspect of the entertainment world too, of, of how, you know, you want to take people out of reality and just, you know, create things that people haven't seen before. They're just pretty wild and out there. You know, I like that kind of stuff. So awesome. I'll be forever doing that. Yeah, that's cool. And, I mean, you only get asked to put signature stuff together yeah. if you're, you're doing great work. So uh, obviously these companies want to align themselves with um, all the great music you're making too. So that's that's heaps cool. It is really – it's really cool that they approach me and I'm like um, honoured, as I said, like to be able to, you know, do these things. <laughs> So you know, it's awesome. It really is. It's very cool. Cool. Hey, with all the all the um, all the amazing touring and stuff you've done, if you had any um, got any particular favourite gigs or or tours that um, that stuck out for you? Yeah, um, definitely Japan. We played Summer Sonic. That was a hundred thousand people, and it was the most wild time because we played in Tokyo. We played in um, Osaka. And looking at 100,000 people and they're singing back the words to your songs and you're like, and then they're, you know, really, English isn't their first you know, language. Uh -huh. And you're like, oh my, I, honestly, the whole band were like, this is wild. And I mean, that's insane. It truly is insane. And then Singapore, we played Sing Fest, everyone knew the words. And then Kuala Lumpur, all these different places. Um, Brazil as well, like playing out there, it was wild. Uh, it was about 80,000 people there. And then we played... Um, God, some different, I don't even know, like, there's been some crazy shows. I mean, I can't, honestly, like, I can't remember all of them, obviously, but it's just, like, moments. There's so many different moments. And actually, up in Canada, we played this festival, which, Quebec, and we had an amazing time up there, too, I remember, and Toronto and all that. So, um, yeah, there's been some cool, cool spots. And Vegas, we played some really fun shows there, too, so... Awesome. Any Spinal Tap moments? Oh, many, many. Um, I think probably one of the funniest was when my bass player got her head stuck, uh, caught in my hair extension, right, during the song. And it took about two or three songs for the guitar techs, two of them, to separate. And, everyone, and, I, and it was like there was like 30,000 people in the audience and it was filmed. And it, was, it was up in Canada, actually. And I thought it was great because it was entertainment value. Like it was like you know, the bass player, she was like worried. She was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. this is happening. She thought she was going to get fired or something. And I thought it was great because everyone was like, the, you know, going, oh, are they going to, are they going to actually separate? Is her hair going to be ripped out? Like people were just staring like at this disaster that was happening. And <laughs> it was funny. Like I thought it was funny, even because everything sounded good. Like the sound was good. The show was going good. It wasn't, if it was a disastrous sound and it was horrible, then I would have been very upset. You know what I mean? At the whole hair extension sure, thing sure. but it felt good we're having a good evening and that just happened 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 you said it took two or three songs like you so you still you're still rocking through the set <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i said you couldn't move it because i because i had my i didn't want my teeth to be knocked and then with the microphone so i was like you gotta hold still and they were like trying to do it carefully and i was like in between songs i'm like well Guys, we're going to get separated at one point, so, you know, it's all good. And everyone's laughing. It was actually really funny. I think it's online somewhere, but um, it's all good. And, you know, it's all the entertainment aspect of things, you know. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, whoever went to that gig, they're never going to forget that. That's cool. Yeah, they just thought it was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I don't wear those hair extensions anymore, the ones that were uh, pretty much glued to my head. So... Clippings all the way these days. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That was wild. Hey, it's been super cool speaking to you. Um, not least of all because because you're an Aussie and you've been just smashing it in the states for a while. I've had a few 
young Aussie musicians on the show, um, like Tal Wilkenfeld or, or Joe Robinson. I don't know if you know those guys, but um, Tal, Tal actually just texted me just now. No way, that's awesome. She was, she was cool. Yeah, she's great. And we were just talking the other day, and she literally just texted me. And and uh, um, what was she saying to me here? Um, oh, I should say this actually on this podcast because I want to plug that she has a brand new music video that's coming out on Tuesday. Awesome. So go and check out Tao's music video. Yeah, she's man. Great. She's cool. So there you go. Small world. So, um, But that's cool. Like, yeah, speaking to guys like 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 her and, and Joe and yourself who, um, yeah, you guys all moved to the States at a very young age um, and, uh, and yeah. are killing it. So it's it's awesome. Yeah, she moved over much younger than I did. I think she moved over when she was like 16, yeah, 17. Yeah, yeah. I think Joe was about 18 or something. I don't know. Anyway, you're all doing great. So it's always fun to um, have guys like you on the show. And yourself, I've been a fan of your playing for a long time. So very cool to sit down and, and talk guitars and, and your career. And um, I can't wait for the new record to come out. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to come back to Australia. So I'll let you know when I'm in Sydney and, you know, set you up with like tickets and all that and we'll all hang out you know it'd be great cool that'd be awesome we'd love to see you play this stuff live for sure all right there you go hope you enjoyed today's conversation now this podcast was brought to you by the pedal movie the feature length film all about effects pedals created by reverb reverbs the pedal movie is available now on itunes google play and voodoo for more information, visit thepedalmovie.com. The show was also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by ex-head of guitar at GIT, Joe Elliott. Check out fretboardbiology.com for more information. Alrighty then, you have been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling, and as the legendary German rocker Michael Schenker once told me, Keep rocking, keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.